0: 11.30 p.m. Friday, October 30th. It's been following me around all day, this shadow. I know I sound like I've lost my mind, but I assure you this isn't a psychotic break. If anything happens to me, please know that I want to live and I don't want to do anyone or anything any harm. It's here. I know you're here. I can feel you. I see your shadow on the wall. What are you? What am I? I can't tell you that, but don't worry, soon you'll know. I think a better question would be, when am I? Today I'm a creek in your floorboards, a spot in your vision, an out of place object, a shadow on the wall. Three days ago I was a teacher in a tweed jacket sat behind a desk piled high with books. During third period I intercepted a note passed by a 10th grader and told him to meet me after class. The note said he was tired of his parents who never let him do what he wanted to do. He said that sometimes he wished they were dead. After the bell rang he approached the desk looking Sheepish and worried I'm sorry, Mr. Allen. I didn't mean those things in the note. He said But I smiled Which was unexpected and whispered Be careful what you wish for Then placed a hand on his shoulder and slipped in under his skin. I Took the note out of the teacher's hand and said, I'm sorry, Mr. Allen. It won't happen again He didn't know why I was there I walked home and stayed quiet, did the laundry, ate a sandwich, read a book. Then, when the lights went out for the evening, I opened the gun safe, loaded a pistol, and shot his parents as they slept. I left the note on his pillow and ran into his front yard, then let him fall to his knees as I seeped into a shadow cast by the porch light on a tree. I skipped shadow to shadow, propelled by the autumn wind, until I heard something interesting. Two days ago, I was beautiful. A girl of only 17. I had found her in a phone call and entered her ear through an interruption in her service. She was talking to a boy who was telling her how sorry he was that he had cheated. They're always sorry afterward. That night I walked barefoot through the woods, along a creek until I reached a clearing, my shoes dangling from my left hand, hooked on delicate fingers with painted nails and thin gold rings. I waited for him in the clearing, bathed in the light of the full moon. I knew he would meet me, because I knew exactly what to say. I always do. Once more he said he was sorry, but Sorry isn't what I'm here for. I drowned him in the creek, then walked back to her front yard where I caught another ride on a shadow in that breeze. I wondered where it would take me this time, and as it turns out, it took me to you. Yesterday, I was small and ash-colored with bright green eyes and a long fluffy tail. I perched on the windowsill and watched you walk home Stepping over the dead mouse, I left at your door. I purred when you walked up the stairs and sat in your lap while you checked your email, texted a friend, and wrote in your journal about a friend who had betrayed you. You fell asleep with me on your pillow, and when the moon rose high and a shadow crept over the wall, I slid into its velvety darkness, where I could soundlessly lie in wait. And here we are. So you want to know who I am. I go by many names. I am trouble, boredom, unrest, and insanity. I am rage and sorrow and revenge. I am villainy, seduction, envy, and attraction. I am different things to different people, but desperation is my cue. Today I may be a shadow, but tomorrow, I'll be you. I'm Holly. I'm Leslie. And we would be dead. a good gasp. That's kind of an artsy one. Yeah. Good times. (laughs) Hey, Leslie. Hey, Holly. Hey, fiends. Well, we have reached the final countdown for spooky season 2022. Man, did it go by fast. Like way too fast, right? Yeah. I've barely watched any scary, scary movies. And that's my favorite spooky season thing to do. I know this uh, October is our month for movies. And I
1: think we had like three.
0: I I haven't even had that many. Yeah. And usually, like, if that's something Will and I do, I'm always like, we gotta watch spooky movies. Mm-hmm. But first of all, my kids will not go to bed early enough.
1: Yeah. So that really shoots it all in the foot. I know. <laughs> they have, like, a couple more years where then they could just put themselves to bed. Yeah. That's nice. Or watch <laughs> with us.
0: But yeah. they're not, neither one of them are
1: there yet. <laughs> we did that with one of our kids. Uh, we watched a scary movie with them and uh, never again.
0: No? They did won't. not go well? No. Uh-oh. Which movie no. was it? Well, uh-oh.
1: It wasn't a good one Oh for no! Sure. What did
0: you pick? Well,
1: I didn't. Oh, no. Uh, but they watched They, so my husband and his son, uh-huh, <laughs> uh-huh. decided to watch It. Okay. And uh, he has yet to finish the second half. He will not. Oh, no. <laughs> so he's only seen the one with the kids. And I was like, I feel like you should finish it yeah. at this point now. Because there's some power at the end of that yeah, movie. Yeah, there is
0: power at the end of that
1: movie. And. Uh, but I mean he wanted to watch it. And like it. the
0: new one? No, the old one. Oh, the old one. Way worse. Yeah. The new, new one way. is like I feel like it's a little more palatable.
1: Yeah, and relatable with the kids. For sure. He was going to be our our son that I thought watched the scary movies. He really still got into might it. Might come around. Might. He might. I mean, he I'm I'm know. coming around. You are coming around. You know, 30 years you. from
0: now, who knows where he'll be. <laughs> See a freak like one of us. He's gonna be like, I'm gonna watch it now. <laughs> Thirty years <laughs> later, I'm ready. <laughs> well, if we don't have time to watch them this season, I figured this week we could talk about a couple of them. And there's nothing that creeps us both out more than demonic possession. Ugh. I know we both hate it. This is a terrible week. Sure is. <laughs> We've only done one actual possession case so far, and that was way back in the beginning. When we covered Annalise Michelle. Mm. In case you guys don't remember, neither one of us will ever forget. (laughs) Ever. Ever. Nope. Annalise is the true story and inspiration behind the horrifying movie, The Exorcism of Emily Rose, a film that made me sleep with the light on for three days as an adult who lived with roommates and my boyfriend. Oh, man. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That kind of fear just gives no fucks at all. Yeah, I still have yet to watch it. Um, I'm good. You will not like it. No. If I couldn't handle it at all, mm-mm. you're not. Yeah. That's not for you. I had to sleep with the lights on
1: for several days after the haunting of Hill House, the last episode.
0: Oh, I didn't watch all of that one. I don't get to watch things because my oh. kids are like, yeah, you would you would like it. it I know. Great. Everyone told me to but watch the it. the last episode. Ooh. Gotcha.
1: That, that was the horror right there. That oh, entire boy. last episode, it was all in one.
0: All right. Well, I'm going to have to watch it. But since visiting the story of Annalise Michelle, we've kind of stayed away from exorcisms. One was enough. We're fine. We get it. We see what happens. Yeah, they're all (laughs) kind of like that, right? All right. But I thought perhaps this week we might sacrifice our restful sleep to the Halloween gods and once more wade back into those holy and turbulent waters. And what better way to do that than in another installment of our Based on a True Story series, this episode, we will be telling you the true stories behind two of the scariest films ever made, both of which are about a possession. Leslie, what movie are you telling us about?
1: Veronica. Oh, that's a Netflix movie, right? It's on Netflix, and Good. it's in Spanish.
0: Yeah, and I have heard people speak about this movie, and they're like, it's like the scariest movie you'll ever see. It's so scary. Yeah. I have not seen this one yet. I know that some of the real story, but I'm excited to hear you mm, talk all mm-hmm, about it. Mm-hmm. And I will be telling you all the true story behind what many people consider to be the scariest movie of all time, The Exorcist. Let me tell you guys something. I do not disagree with those people. I don't know. It's a scary movie. (laughs) Just watching all of that green projectile vomit had me pale and sleep-deprived before the writing even began. yeah. Yeah. And if possession movies have taught us anything, it's that when the devil enters the situation, your looks immediately go in the toilet. They never look good. No. No one's possessed by like the sexy devil. Right. I don't understand that. I don't either. Shouldn't you be your hottest? Yeah. Isn't that part of it? Right. Um, like your vanity? Yeah. You should be like, and the devil is seductive. Shouldn't you yeah. be like,
1: yes.
0: I know. Come when they're to my looking devil party.
1: You're like, that's not going to work, on
0: No. <laughs> these, mine did not look nice at all. No. First, you're waking up in the middle of the night, peeing your pants, and then before you know it, you're screaming in Latin and turning a decidedly unflattering shade of green. It's not good. No. While I'm definitely not possessed, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that I know of, maybe I'll get possessed by the sexy devil. Maybe. One can hope. Would be fine, right? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I'm still feeling pretty green and lightheaded after being immersed in this world all week. How about you, Leslie? Yes. Absolutely. It's no good. I don't feel great. Mm -mm. And being as we have two live shows this week, Mm. I really need to look better in a hurry. Yeah, me too. I'm feeling it. Yes. I tried holy water. Okay. Right, but it just evaporated upon contact. Mm. Mm. Then I looked around for an old priest, a new priest, a borrowed priest, and a blue priest or whatever the recipe Mm -hmm. calls for. Mm -hmm. But like they did not want to talk to me either. Do you think you just like threw alcohol on you?
1: I don't know. Is that why it just evaporated?
0: I think I was just so hot with hellfire that it just just... (laughs) turned to vapor immediately. So after all that, I'm left with just an old home remedy that seems to do the trick every single time. But I need one last ingredient. Hmm. A ceremonial chalice full of validation, a hill worth dying on. And lucky us, our fiends can fill our cup from the comfort of their own homes. Isn't that nice? Yes. I love being home. I love being home, too. And I love comfort. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But how? You must be asking yourself. Oh, yeah, I was. You said it in your head this week. Mm -hmm. I could could Mm -hmm. hear it. Well, I'll tell you. Simply head on over to Spotify or Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star rating and or a friendly review. It really is the only way to move this podcast forward. And we really, 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 really want to move this podcast forward. Thanksgiving is next on the Holiday Hit Parade, and we need something to brag about around the table. For sure. Yeah. So help us move forward so we can bring you more content, which is what we all want in the end, right? Yep. But if you just can't wait for more We Would Be Dead content in your life, lucky for you, you don't have to. You can simply support us over on Patreon. There, for just a few dollars a month, you will gain access to our entire catalog of 30-minute horror movies, special minisodes, our weekly after show host mortem, which is available in both video and audio formats. Maybe you want to see our faces. Maybe you don't. Both are okay. You'll also get a special gift in the mail from us, giveaways, merch deals, opportunities to zoom with us and other patrons, an on-air toast dedicated just to you and more. And if all of that is a little too much for you, you can simply follow us on social media. We are at Would Be Dead Pod anywhere and everywhere you get your content. You can like our posts, Share our posts, like, and share our posts. Leave Mm -hmm. us a comment. Post about your favorite episode. Let us know when you're listening. Tell a friend. Tell a neighbor. Tell uh, the the teen at church who sits in the back with the headphones in. They need a new podcast, right? Mm. Sure they do. What's their name? Tim. Tim? Yeah, Tim's like, oh, I listen to true crime while there's church happening. Yeah, for sure. What a rebel. Well, then your friends and Tim can become fiends and we can all hang out together. Lastly, don't forget to get your VIF passes to both of our live shows this coming week. We will be giving an encore performance of our Amityville Horror Show this Friday, October 28th for Exit Zero at the Ferry Park uh, Gallery. Really pretty space. You can see the water. It's got lots of windows. Really nice. Then on the 30th, we'll be back at Cape May Brewing Company talking about Count Dracula and the men and women the myths and legends that created him. It won't suck. Or will it? You <gasps> know what I did there? Yeah. Because vampires. Yeah, I
1: get it. Yeah. Oh, and they suck blood.
0: Yeah, they, mm-hmm. yeah, that's where I was going. Okay, cool. Great, I'm glad. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be great fun. And uh, I think that is all I have for this week. Leslie, do you have anything to add before we begin? Um, no. Okay. Well, Oh. no. Mm-hmm. No. I thought I. I think something. about tickets or merch or journey stuff. We need to. No, I didn't fill people in on. I think we got that. Perfect. Yeah, and if you want to know more about our live shows, you can look at literally any of our social media, and it will it will inform you. Exactly,
1: and if you're just like, I don't feel like looking anything up, I just want answers. Just message us. Yeah, we'll I'm tell happy you. to tell you exactly Absolutely. how to pay us to come to our shows. We
0: love that kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> All right, then on with the show. <laughs> So, Leslie, I just talked for a
1: while. Why don't you get us started? Oh, man. Okay. Yeah. That sounds good. So, guys, I am going to open up our story with some Ouija board talking.
0: Ooh, there's a Ouija yes. board in both of our stories. Oh, okay. So good, that is good. a good, yeah. good through line this week. All right.
1: So at some point, we will do a full history of the Ouija board because we're going to definitely talk about it more. Yeah. It, it pops up quite a bit. Quite a bit. Um, and I'm sure most of you know at least what it looks like. Mm-hmm. But in case you've been living under a bridge, which actually that's probably where you would have a Ouija board as well.
0: I mean, yeah, there might be one under a bridge. Yeah. Maybe you live underground in a tunnel somewhere. Yes. But, you know,
1: just in case, I'm going to give you a little wiki rundown and then some fun little horror stories that have really happened to our fiends.
0: Or maybe you live in a church. I bet there's no Ouija board there. Mm. hmm There probably is, though. Oh, no. <laughs> okay, go oh, ahead. Boy. <laughs> All right. So,
1: a Ouija board is also known as a spirit board or a talking board. <laughs> it is a flat board marked with the letters of the Latin alphabet, the numbers zero through nine, and the words yes, no, and occasionally hello and goodbye. The goodbye is very important. Yeah. Um, And a lot of times there's other like little symbols and graphics on there too. So it uses a planchette, which is usually a small heart-shaped piece of wood or plastic. And it is like the movable indicator to spell out messages during a seance. And everybody, like any of the participants in your group, you really do need to have like at least two people. Um, You could do it by yourself. Don't do it alone but you should never do these things alone. Mm -mm. You need to have a tether. You need to have someone. You got to complete the circuit. That's right. Um, But participants place their fingers on the planchette and it is moved about the board to spell out words. Um, And, you know, it's a a game. It's a board game made by Hasbro. (laughs) It was supposed to always be a game. It was just supposed to be a game. It was always marketed to kids right away. (laughs) It was not something that like later people were like, this is fun. Um, But it does uh, open up portals to other worlds, other realms. And uh, Catholics hate them.
0: Yeah, they sure do. They sure do.
1: Um, And, you know, there's a lot of religions, but especially Catholicism, that truly believe that if you at all open yourself up to the idea of allowing demons or spirits or anything to either just communicate with you Mm -hmm. or enter you you're just opening yourself up to be possessed so that's their fear about this game yes so um i asked some of my fiends i asked some of you guys if uh you had any ouija board stories that you wanted to share with me and i did get two so i
0: wanted to share those with you please tell uh tell me i was just looking And my email, because I realized I didn't check. If I get any additional ones, like Mm -hmm. if anyone sent them to me, we can, um, I'll record them just as a little piece and blast them out into the world. All right, so our first
1: story comes from Anne Barang and her sister, Beth. Anne says, so my sister, Beth, her now ex-boyfriend, Nettie, not his real name, I just don't like him. Okay, fair (laughs) enough. And I were at her place, she shared. We decided to see if there was anyone out there As time went on, we connected with someone. As we talked, we found out that he was a spirit named James who has been following me since I was a kid. As far as I I know, as far as I remember, I never had an imaginary friend. I had a twin sister to talk to. That makes sense. Yeah, well, that's nice. We never figured out why he's been following me, even though he was a friendly spirit. We wanted him to prove that he was real, and Nettie decided to pour some soda into a cup. As he was pouring, the steady stream into a cup deviated like there was a finger that poked through the soda. Ew. Being more curious, we asked for more proof. A few seconds later, I felt something on my neck. Ugh. We asked him what he did. He told me he licked me.
0: Ew. (gasps) Nope. Nope. Oh, man. Of all, that's the worst option. Yeah, <laughs> I licked you. <ya>. Ew! <laughs> I poked you. I brushed up against you. No, I licked you. No. Ew! <laughs> Worst sound to make in a microphone.
1: <laughs> All right, going, going on, on. Anne mm-hmm. says we chatted a bit more, and then we said goodbye. Which again, everybody, it's very important. You say gotta goodbye. say goodbye, otherwise you don't close it out. Anne continues with. James is still with me. I see him every so often. No, no, no. Never can see his full face, but I can see his body. And then the worst part? There's a worse part than the lick? Years later, after my nephew was born, he started chatting with his imaginary friend named James. No. Oh, I hate that. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. Ew. So that was one. The other story comes from our fiend Haley Holmes. Oh, Haley did get to you. Yeah. Okay. Good. Mm-hmm. She did get to me. She sent me a really cute little voice message. She told me she was gonna send it via like voice. Yes. Yeah. She tells us that uh, she was at her friend's house. It was a good friend of hers, like friends growing up, you know. Um, and they had siblings, and she always remembers like her and her girlfriend. They would watch like horse movies together and horse just had a really movies. good time. Yeah, really cute. The brothers um, were always like playing jokes and pranks on them and things like that, right? So the one night, they she was sleeping over and they decided to play with the Ouija board. And they felt like they did kind of connect with a spirit. And at one point, uh, Haley looks out of like the, these glass doors to the uh, backyard. And they have a dog and the dog is on a, like, leash outside. Okay. Now, Haley explains it like this. She says that at her house with her dog, they have, like, a running leash, so they have this string that goes across. Oh, so it's on, like, like, a line? Yeah, and it goes from, like, across the trees. That way they can put their... They can attach their dog's leash to that, and it just runs across without it getting tangled up around trees and branches and other things. My neighbor
0: has that in their front yard.
1: Mm -hmm. So it's just like a run. Yeah. So she has one of those, but she knew that her girlfriend did not. They just have, like, they let the dog out on a leash, and it just kind of goes and then comes back. Okay. So while they're conversing with the spirit, she looks outside, and she sees that the leash is, like, straight up in the air. And she asked her friend, like, hey, when did you guys get that run? Because it's familiar to her. And she's like, when did that happen? And her friend's just like, oh, we didn't. And so they go to the window and look out, like, faces pressed against the glass door. And they're just seeing this leash on their dog just hanging straight up in the air.
0: Ew. Holding on to nothing. Oh no, I
1: hate that so much. I know. Now, the worst thing about this story is that Haley cannot remember the rest of it. No! (laughs) She cannot remember the rest of it. She just remembers that, which I kind of understand. That's like the most
0: horrifying
1: thing. Yeah, the rest of it is like whatever.
0: Oh my God. (laughs) Haley Homs, you get a pass though, because first of all, she's like great and supports us and everything. Second of all, she made an amazing connection for us. That is the reason you guys are getting your Halloween surprise. Yes. More about that at another time. But uh, keep your eyes open because it is awesome. Yep. All right. So those are my Ouija board stories. Now,
1: remember, everybody, we will probably have more Ouija board tales and probably a history about it. So if you have a scary story or an interesting tale of when you played with your Ouija board. Yeah. Let us (laughs) know sent it to us and we will save it for the next episode. Absolutely. All right. So my story again is um, based on the movie Veronica. So again, that, that's a Netflix movie and it's in Spanish and it's very terrifying. So terrifying. I could not finish it. Yeah. So
0: yeah, it was. Rough. I mean, I've heard that it's very, very scary. It's I really seen scary.
1: One. It's just the kind of it's the kind of horror film that I don't like I can't do John didn't want to watch it with me so it was it was rough I couldn't do it it was too scary great
0: don't watch The Exorcism of Emily Rose I'm good <laughs> I don't need to um and I don't like
1: things with nuns in them like creepy nuns I'm out why <laughs> <laughs> FYI you guys no creepy nuns no Thanks. creepy nuns all right so in case you guys don't know what this movie is about during a solar eclipse, a teenage girl named Veronica and her friends want to summon the spirit of the girl's father using a Ouija board. However, during the session, she loses consciousness. She doesn't say goodbye. And soon, it becomes clear that the evil demons have arrived.
0: Oh, every time you say during a solar eclipse, I think, total eclipse of the sun. Oh, I like that. See, I just think of Twilight. Oh, mine are all <laughs> Little Shop references. Yes, I
1: like That's it. That's all you get. right so that's the movie it is a very lightly based off of the real scary story of estefania uh, gutierrez and that's what i'm going to tell you about today okay okay i know it's scary on november 19th 1992 between the hours of 2 and 3 a.m five police officers and the chief inspector jose pedro Negri went to portal number 8 of Lu Street in Vallecas, Spain, and I think that's just like apartment number 8. Okay. Mm-hmm. Upon arrival, the police found the tenants of the apartment outside looking upset and terrified. 46-year-old Maximo Gutierrez Palomares was relieved when the police finally arrived. He had been the one who made the call. He lived in portal number 8 with his wife and children, and they were the tenants standing outside. He spoke with the officers about what was going on. When asked why they were all outside, they all responded saying something to the extent of they would rather be out in the cold than back inside with whatever was in there. Inspector Negri took three of his officers with him to inspect the Gutierrez's apartment. Once inside, the strange things began happening. The inspector and the policemen all could hear a knocking sound coming from somewhere in the house. While peeking through cupboards, one of the policemen and the others watched as a cupboard door he just closed violently opened right back at him. The same cupboard began shaking violently. Then loud noises came from the outside balcony, but nothing was there to make them. They also found several crucifixes torn from frames and hanging upside down. After their initial inspection, the officers met the Gutierrez's outside and looked just as terrified as they did. Oh, yeah, they would. Yeah. Inspector Negri remembers walking through their apartment, caused his hair to stand on end. He pulled Maximo aside to better understand what what they had all just walked into. Maximo and the rest of the family all said the same thing. For a better part of a year, their home had been a source of paranormal activity that all started around the time one of their daughters, 18-year-old Maria Estefania Gutierrez Lazaro, died suddenly and tragically.
0: Oh, bummer. So,
1: let's go back to the beginning. Let us. Maria Estefania Gutierrez Lazaro was born in 1973 to parents Maximo Gutierrez, Palomares and Concepcion Lazaro de la iglesia i think that's the hardest of the names that i have to get through
0: <laughs> you didn't say conception no Concepcion. So you nailed it
1: thank you <laughs> she was the third of six siblings and she goes by estefania not uh, maria okay they lived in Vallecas, spain which is a city just south of madrid so a lot of people say that she's like in madrid for this story okay By all accounts, Estefania's early life was pretty good. She had loving parents, was very close to her two sisters, and got along enough with her three brothers. She had friends at school, she dated boys, did well in class, and did not cause much trouble.
0: Okay, so this is a girl that, like, you wouldn't think was going to have crazy Mm -mm. issues like this. No. Got it. Just a standard, like, teen. Yeah. Right? Her family
1: was close, but they did not seem to get along with their grandfather, Concepcion's which was Concepcion's father. Over the years, Concepcion and her father's relationship began to deteriorate over financial quarrels. I don't know exactly the issue, but whatever it was, it caused the grandfather to kind of be a dick to the whole family. Mm. And then he got dementia.
2: Oh, well.
1: Yeah. And his health declined and he got meaner and it was really sad and really hard for the whole family. I don't know if you know anybody with dementia or, or for our listeners, if you've ever had Anyone in your family, it's a very horrible, sad disease. And um, it just, like, eats—basically, it's just, like, eating away at your brain. It makes
0: people so agitated because it's frustrating to not know what's going on. It is,
1: yeah. And they don't remember you, and they have, like, little spurts in and out. And um, for some, not all, but in his case, he just was getting really mean, Mm -hmm. you know. But this was their grandfather, and Concepcion had an obligation to care for him. But his nastiness toward— the children especially Estefania did not make it easy about five months before Estefania's death the family stood around their grandfather's bed for a final goodbye but right before he died he swore to the family that he would make their lives impossible from the other side
0: oh god yeah oh lord cool 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 you just would never get over that either I would hear that in my head forever I know I know some some um reports say that
1: he said it right to Estefania, oh, too, God. which is horrible.
0: Yeah, can you imagine,
1: like, you're this is your grandfather, you're mm-hmm. a kid. And she's, like, 16 at this time. And you hear that, yeah. I'd be destroyed. I know. Ugh. Oh, God. So, during all of this, Estefania is now 16 years old, and she's going to a school that is nearby, it's called, and I'm going to ruin this so hard, Collegia Publica Aragon. De...
0: <laughs> I don't have it in front of me. I, I don't can't know. help you.
1: It's okay. To me, it looks like it's a public school, but they are in Spain where they are. They all wear uniforms and there's nuns that run it. Okay. All right. So there's nuns that are teachers there. Okay. And uh, so remember that we are in Spain where Catholicism is the most widely practiced religion. So like I said, I I picture this almost more like a Catholic school, but maybe it was like their local public school too. So in March of 1990, during the school day, Estefania found herself with a free period since one of her teachers was absent. Earlier that morning, her best friend told her that she brought in a Ouija board and hoped that she would join her to play the game. I hope she brought it to her Catholic school. She did. Absolutely. (laughs) That's exactly 100% what we did. All the time. Oh, we had, boy. When we'd bring in like tarot cards, they were, they, they were as bad as bringing drugs in. You could get oh really? in serious trouble for bringing paraphernalia. Like it was considered paraphernalia. Yeah. The occult I'm... paraphernalia. <laughs> Estefania agreed and said she could sneak out during her free period. Even though her friend made it sound like a game, Estefania knew that the real motive was to hopefully connect with a familiar spirit. Several months prior, Estefania's friend had died in a motorcycling accident and everyone was still having a hard time with his loss, especially her best friend. The boy who had died was her boyfriend. So she wanted to see if he was all right and Estefania hoped that she and herself included could get some closure.
0: Oh, that's really
1: sad. I know. So when the time came, Estefania, her girlfriend, and two of their guy friends snuck into an empty dark room and quietly sat around the Ouija board, placed their fingers on the planchette, which for them was like a little glass, um, almost kind of like a shot glass. Okay. I that's what they had. It was clear. And began the session. So all four kids shut their eyes and waiting for a spirit to interact with them. They got a hit. Spirit came through. Nice. <laughs> And they began asking questions, hoping that it was their recently departed friend or maybe a spirit that could, like, connect them with him. Unfortunately, they did not get far in their questioning before they heard the door of the room banging as though someone was on the other side. And someone was. (sighs) A moment later, the door flung open, and it was a very annoyed nun. She immediately spotted the Ouija board and darted right for it, snatched it from one of the students, and in the process, cracked it. Before she could yell at the kids to get back to the class, her attention, as was all the rest of the students, was drawn to a cloud of smoke that was filling the glass planchette. And within seconds, it exploded into pieces, allowing the smoke to escape. And all the kids and their teacher watched as the smoke escaped from the planchette, rose up between them, and then flew right into Estefania's nostrils.
0: Oh my God. And so the the nun did it. It's her fault.
1: And then all was over. Everyone was freaked out. Their teacher was trying to regain some sort of order and told everyone to go back to class, which they did, without ever getting to end their session with the spirit they called up. You gotta say goodbye. Ugh. At the end of the day, the same nun that found the kids left school, went home, and never came back to work again. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. And this is when shit started happening. Yeah. At least to Stefania. Oh, God. Her behavior changed drastically. She was having trouble sleeping, and this was causing her to become very irritable. Although it was more than just having a short temper, she would have outbursts of uncontrollable rages. She would bark, growl, and hiss at her brothers. Mm. On several accounts, she would assault members in her family. Uh, When she seemed to be more present, she would confide in her family about why she wasn't sleeping. At night, she would see human forms with no faces wearing cloaks surrounding her bed and asking her to come with them. Oh, I hate that. Yep. Yeah. I would also. Wow. I would be trying to sleep harder. I'd be like, I need to just close my eyes. Oh my God, I would never sleep again. And y'all need to go. Opposite. I'd be like, no, how do I run away? I would yell, I would invoke the Nana <laughs> and I would clear that room. Well, you'd be fine because you could invoke the Nana. That's true. Not all Mm. of us have that capability. Oh, my gosh. So she began hallucinating during the day as well, saying figures and uh, that figures would appear and that she would hear voices, too. Mm -hmm. And on occasion, she would suffer from what looked like seizures. Mm. Her parents were extremely worried, obviously, and they took her to several hospitals and doctors in hopes of finding an answer. The closest they got was that she was suffering from epilepsy. And this was not out of the realm of possibility. Her mother, Concepcion, was diagnosed with epilepsy as well. However, the only common symptom that she shared with her daughter was that of the actual seizure. Okay. And everything else, like she Concepcion has never seen cloaked figures or heard voices or became violent or mean towards her family or hallucinated during the day or even like had moments of just like looking like they were in a trance state like none of that Hmm. so she was like this isn't even similar to what I have well seizures
0: can make you look like you're in a trance that's the thing for sure but
1: they all were like it doesn't look like what mom goes through at all this is like weirder
0: right I'm gonna I'm gonna give a moment of benefit of the doubt and say maybe her epilepsy Manifested a little differently.
1: Oh, oh, hundred percent. I'm with you.
0: I'm with you. No,
1: I mean, I'm still, I'm still convinced it's probably epilepsy. So I'm just, <laughs> for the sake of the story, for this sure. is what Concepcion believes, and the rest of the family. Her siblings remember how tormented Estefania seemed in her sleep. Sometimes she would just be making gurgling sounds Ew. and whispers, and what sounded like other languages.
0: Oh, gurgling! I, I know, tr- really hate that. I know. I know.
1: Have you heard people do that in their sleep? No. It is terrifying. Who do you know that gurgles in their sleep? It's just like sometimes if they're like laying on their back, sometimes they'll like get it. It won't like last long because they're obviously not possessed, but (laughs) (laughs) it is a little uncomfortable. You're Mm. like, oh, what the fuck is happening? Yeah, that's awful. No, thank you. All right. So a few of the children even reported seeing their sister levitating while sleeping. No. had to be creepy. And during the day, her family would witness her sometimes go into a sort of trance, sometimes lasting 15 to 20 minutes. During that time, she would either just be sitting or standing and staring off, blank in the face, non-reactive, and just laugh. Ew! Why you gotta laugh? When Estefania would come to, they would ask her where she was.
0: <laughs> yeah, where, where'd you go? Where'd you go, girl?
1: And sometimes when she remembered, she would say that she was standing in a long corridor filled with fog that came up to her knees and she could hear sinister voices calling to her. Just seemed like there was always somebody trying to get her to come to them is like the essence of what was happening. I don't care for that. Sometimes the family would also experience the hauntings with Estefania. So Concepcion remembers the day that Estefania was going to iron her clothes in the bathroom. And Estefania screamed and her mother came running to see what had happened. And Estefania said that she saw a shadowy figure and then her iron just turned on by itself. Mm -mm. And Concepcion checked the iron and it was on, but it was not hot. And then a split second later, the bathroom door slammed closed on its own. And she tried to open the door, but it wouldn't budge. And then they called for Maximo, her husband, who came running to try and help. And he could not get the door open. It felt like somebody was trying to keep the door shut or that there was something in the way of it, like there was nothing he could do. So finally, extremely frustrated, Maximo geared up to kick the door down. And right before his foot connected, the door just opened nice and smooth, all on its
0: own. I don't care for that at all.
1: And the family talks about how the bathroom seemed to be one of the places where the highest amount of like paranormal activity would happen. And there was always like weird shit just happening there. So time went on and Estefania was not getting better, only worse. Her diagnosis of epilepsy was not helpful. <laughs> <laughs> You're not fixing anything, no. thanks. And I'm not sure if she was even ever treated for it. Some sources say that she was, but the medicine didn't do anything. For her, and others say that she wasn't. So I was trying to like uh-huh. look for actual like medical. So the couple of the sources that seemed a bit more reliable all said that she was never actually treated for it, mm-hmm. which then is also like okay, so that's still technically an option. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> right. Absolutely. No, you're correct. And I don't know why she wasn't, and I partly wonder if any of any of this has to do with any financial issues. Just like maybe they didn't have the money to pay for it. That's I don't possible. Know. They have a lot of kids. They live in, a, in an apartment. Was, was her mother treated for it? Was she taking medication? Well, they the didn't even say that. Because you know I wonder. I mean? Yeah. So either way, by all accounts, her family, though concerned and probably scared, were just kind of over being terrorized by her. Mm-hmm. It also doesn't seem like she was really doing this with her friends or at school. It was like mostly isolated within the home that this was happening. oh because she had a boyfriend at the time, like all of this. Maybe and he was, he was like,
0: like, okay. I love when you bark. My God. Yes. <laughs> gurgle, girl. <laughs> gurgle,
1: gurgle. <laughs> gurgle, baby, gurgle.
0: <laughs> Terrible. I like when she hisses. Oh, God. <laughs> Not to make fun of the situation, but I it is just so wild. She's so feisty.
1: But the days leading up to her death were filled with some really weird moments that at the time they didn't really think much of. She began saying some really dark and sinister things, one of which was asking her mother not to inform her father's family of her imminent death and that she would like to have a photo of her and her father installed inside her coffin. Okay. So also, again, this is one of these facts that is read differently in several different things. So either she wants to have a photo of her with her father, who was Maximo, yes, inside her coffin. Okay. Or... She wants to have a photo with her grandmother, her mother's father, the one that her
0: grandfather cursed
1: them. Her grandfather, yeah, yeah,
0: inside oh. the coffin.
1: So Boy. I'm gonna just tell you both because it's read a couple different ways. So around July 12th of 1991, Estefania was having a particularly possessive day. Her dressy <laughs> possessy. <laughs> her sister, Marianella. Reports being violently attacked by Estefania, who came out at her like a wild animal. Oh, no, I hate it. Marianella managed to dodge her sister, who then began convulsing and fell to the floor. Her sister watched horrified as Estefania started to foam from the mouth, (sighs) and her eyes, wide open but empty, just stared off. Again, it just, you know, kind of sounds like a seizure. That sounds like a seizure, yeah, Yeah. for sure. Especially the foaming from the mouth. That happens Uh when you have, like, a big old seizure. Um, moments later, Estefania came back, too, and remembered none of it. Seemingly okay, they just, like, went back to bed.
0: How? Okay. Mm-hmm. I don't think that I could have, but, you know, to yep. each to each I mean, own. I mean, they've
1: been dealing with this for a while. They're like, God, she's well, doing it again. Well, dealing with is a generous term. <laughs> They're just kind of letting it happen around them is really what <laughs> She'll <happened>. be fine. <laughs> Teens. <laughs> Teens and their mouth foaming. So that morning, Estefania was seemingly calmer. So she just had, like, that really—that was, like, the biggest attack that she had had. And now she's, like, right, calm, okay. right? Though her brother Ricardo does remember her sister saying over breakfast with, like, the kids and her parents that she was destined to die before them. She also told mm-hmm. them that when she did die, she would warn them when she was on the other side by knocking on the door. But at this point, she was always saying weird shit. So they were like, yeah. all right, cool. Part of the course. Got it. Cool, cool, cool. That day, she met up with her boyfriend, Pablo. The two went on a nice walk. She came home, had dinner with her family, and went to bed early. On July 13th, Estefania had another violent attack. The siblings yelled for their parents, and Concepcion remembers watching as her seemingly unconscious daughter lay in bed with her head in her hands, expelling foam from her mouth. This went on for almost a half hour, and this time she was hospitalized.
0: Oh, God.
1: The doctors tried their best, but after three hours— at 2 a.m. on July 14th, Estefania Gutierrez died from pulmonary asphyxia caused by a convulsion, which is a very strange diagnosis for a person of her age. But yeah. for what she was going through, is terrible. Like, it yeah. sounds about right, too. She was foaming. She was probably, like, suffocating herself yeah, is that, what like I was thinking. Yeah, like the
0: congestive heart failure yeah. situation. Mm-hmm. That's
1: really scary. So the official report of her death would claim This is like written in her report that she died suddenly and suspiciously. Hmm. They were like, we just don't understand what was happening. But also because I don't know that her diagnosis of epilepsy was like real, was like a real diagnosis even. So the family was devastated by the loss of their sister and daughter. They hoped that she could now find some peace. And that's when they heard a knock at the door. No, 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 no. I don't like. Mm hmm. And her brother Ricardo was immediately reminded of one of the last strange things that his sister foretold. And the family knew then that whatever was haunting Estefania was not done yet. Uh, I just got chills. <laughs> I truly like, don't care I don't, don't want to do the rest. <laughs> okay. The family went home to grieve and time passed and nothing strange seemed to follow them. They were just beginning to believe that the evil that took their beautiful Estefania was gone. But then little things started to happen like objects moving and doors opening and closing alone and glass that would just, you know, sometimes explode like it does. And Estefania's bed, which was always made by her mother, would appear disordered in the mornings. Mm. And the majority of these occurrences, they would happen around 11.30 p.m., which was around the time that Estefania fell into a coma hours before her death. So that was like the last time she was like home.
0: Right. I don't like...
1: The situation began to get more serious when Concepcion started to feel like an unpleasant, cold, inanimate hand caressing her and removed, like, the bedsheets. Oh, uh -uh. (laughs) uh-uh. And she would also often hear a voice that sounded like it was saying, Mom, coming from the bathroom. Nope. Nope. And this tracks with the family feeling strongly that there was like a major energy of paranormal activity coming from the bathroom, which was adjacent to Estefania's room. It was like directly facing it. (sighs) So some of the family members didn't like going to the bathroom alone because of this. And they feared that they would get locked in or see figures. And it was always several degrees colder in there.
0: I'm peeing outside. Sorry. Sorry.
1: And months later, the paranormal stuff was getting worse for everyone. I don't know how they made it months. I don't know how they made it. This I, don't, I don't. You got to leave, man. So it was no longer just some like nuisancey things. Each member of the family began seeing shadowy figures in the hallway. They would confess hearing malicious laughter from what sounded like an elderly person who they believed to be their grandfather, who was probably just fulfilling his promise, to make their lives miserable. He did warn them. He did. He did say he was coming. He was coming. And so, he's like, there. he had the courtesy to let them yeah. know. And now they know. Yeah. Which is, again, probably why they're like, well, like, we know what this is. We know who it is. Probably. He's dead. Mm-hmm,
0: yeah. Grandpa. I
1: mean, if he was still alive, he'd still be this much of a dick. So. Probably. The children were often getting pushed by someone invisible, too. Like, this would just—they'd be, like, walking and then just, like, flung. Like No. <laughs> one of the poodles so they had like a dog that was a poodle flew in the air one time that like terrified them they were like just like
0: flying poodle flying poodles everywhere
1: ouija boards make your dogs fly yep concepcion was sensing that someone was at her bed at night standing over top of her and touching her feet and hands nope nope and nope 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 and then on one unforgettable occasion ricardo and concepcion were sitting at their table just talking When a glass came flying directly at Ricardo like someone had just thrown it, no one else was in the room. But luckily, Concepcion had seen it coming and could warn Ricardo before it hit him. They would come home to all their crucifixes, just inverted. Oh, no. That like terrifies Catholics. That's a devil thing, Yeah. (laughs) yeah. The house door opened and closed more and more violently now. So it wasn't just like being silly all willy-nilly about (laughs) it. Now it was just like, we have a purpose and we want to terrify. Um, Grandpa. I always imagine it too, like being like, especially like the glass, like say like the glass shattering or them like, like you see a a glass like Mm -hmm. being flown across the room. I always imagine that it's just a ghost trying to figure out how to just like, move something and it's just too chaotic has <laughs> no control they just don't Doesn't have, know like, his own strength i was just trying to get you a glass of water a I thought ghost it'd be arm fun. or i was just trying to like tap it so you could be like i'm here and i went but so hard am so sorry <laughs> i don't know my own strength like <laughs> ghost strength man oh boy they would also see and hear like violent blows or raps on the walls and then the poodle this is my least favorite thing the poodle will just like you know bark into the abyss no we hate that and um and it would grunt at something Ew. that was like located always at the same end of the hallway grunting and gurgling and it, also that area of the hallway was always colder as well like you would walk there significantly Course it colder was. and the police would mention that in like in their reports that they could like sense different like isn't temperature changes is the police changes? thing
0: very significant
1: it is we'll get down to that cuz okay. there's there's like it is and it
0: isn't Sorry. for like certain reasons what was the name of her her school again was it Stella Stella Maris? Is that mm, the one? No. no. Damn. It's the only one I could find with that name. And that one is translates to Our Lady Star of the Sea, which was a church that was also in Cape May. Yeah. So I was like, oh no. no. It was like it was like point, It was like Colegia Publica. This one is <laughs> like Colegio Stella Maris, and that's oh, yeah. Our Lady Star of the Sea, which oh, I was okay. like, Whoa, maybe we have a <laughs> connection. No. Sorry, I tried for you.
1: Continue. The family was getting so paranoid that they started pulling their mattresses into the living room and all slept together in hopes that this would keep them safe and protected. Just again, like, just move. Yeah. Just move. Yeah, you gotta go. I mean, I know that's not always an
0: option for people, but I like, know. in this climate. Also, so. it's in a police report. Yeah. You would think like, okay, that this might, Yeah, there might be help somewhere.
1: So they even, well, not yet. This is this is still the background. We haven't okay. gotten to when they bring the police in yet. All right. Because I was going to say, yes, you might be able remember. to
0: forfeit your damn lease if that's yeah. the case. No,
1: at this point, they haven't. They are just like dealing with this on their own. <gasps> Boy. I don't know if it's also because they are Catholic and they're just like, we can't talk about
0: this. We can't do it.
1: They even tried to block the door that opened up to the hallway, thinking that they could isolate themselves or even trap whatever it was from bothering them like overnight. But none of
0: that worked. Because if a spirit wants to get you, it will. It's going to get you. Also, like, then they're stuck in your hallway, and you still live there. Yeah. Plus, ghosts can go through walls. I know. Come on. I know. So,
1: Maximo and Concepcion were at their wits, end. they decided to seek out many parapsychologists and seers to find a solution. All right. So, many came through the house, and they came up with wild stories, and then gave them a few new fears and made yeah. empty promises of clearing their home of evil spirits only after payment, though. Oh, boy. And one of the se- seers told the Gutierrezes that a demon by the name of Krapula, <laughs> spelt with a C, was haunting their home. But if you spell it with a K, this is what I found out. Krapula just means hangover in Finnish. Ugh. So, honestly, sometimes I think Krapula possesses my home, too.
0: Me, too, man. Yeah, right? It happens. Got the Crapula. <laughs> So it's safe
1: to say that the Gutierrez's were shit out of luck. They sure were. And now we are getting closer to the beginning of our story. So also, um, if you do research this further, there are more like uh, parapsychologists that get into this. And some of them like do, in a sense, help to like make the story bigger, but also like more kind of. BS in a sense. Like yeah. they they really tried to push something for their own narrative That's and tried to get like some things Another common thing, going. Yeah. And um, one of them I think is even like in part of the police report because they have to talk to this guy to just be like, right. you dealt with this family a lot. But I would say like just their account alone is enough. I don't need this like other money grabbing man. For sure. So one night, Maria Nella and her sister saw a face. This is my, I hate this part. They saw a faceless creature, a kind of dark, spiky shadow, crawling on the floor of their room, throwing into the air the toys it found in its path.
0: No, thank you.
1: They tried to light a small lamp to frighten the creature, but it was shaking and making its manipulation impossible. No, I gotta go. Bye. Bye forever. Uh Uh-uh. I'm having such a hard time, guys. I don't like this story. This is my least favorite part. Okay. When they turned on the light to see better, what was disturbed, to see what was disturbing them. I don't know why you'd want to see it.
0: No. <laughs> well, I would need to know you wouldn't. Uh, yeah. That's the difference. Be like, close your eyes, go to bed. <laughs> it goes away. It doesn't, though. I You're know. just sleeping and then it gets you.
1: Anyway, they turned the light on and the shadow vanished. So the parents heard what was going on. They came to the room. Mm -hmm. They saw the disorder, but not the creature. So they just saw all the toys all over the place. And they were Mm -hmm. just like, the fuck, guys. So they didn't see it then, but on November 19th, they could see it crawling down the hallway. Now this is the night that the police come.
0: Oh my God. Crawling down the hallway. So now everybody has seen
1: this creature. They saw it crawling down the hallway. And it seems that after that event, the Frightened family gathered at the front door of the house when they watched a ball bounce. Towards them, And Maximo, surprised by that, I don't know why anybody's surprised by anything right now. Yeah. In an attempt to spread security to the rest of his family.
0: Oh, my <laughs> Sorry, God. I took
1: this right from this site because this was wild. Mm-hmm. Grabbed the ball and threw it across the corridor. But surprisingly, and before hitting any obstacle, the ball bounced back towards them. No, no, no. And this is when they finally called the damn cops. I don't know that that's who you call though. Well, but they called everybody else. I, I don't know if they're just like we need to come we just need somebody needs to know Help, what's happening. Please. Yeah. I don't know what to do. Yeah. I need I need somebody else to see this. I need right. because um also at this time too, Concepcion was trying to get some more evidence based. Right. So she was like I just want to know that we're not crazy. I'm right? surprised
0: they didn't call the church. I know. Well, there, I know. I mean, you're would think at this.
1: I don't know why they wouldn't have, like, had a, a clearing in that way. Yeah, have, that. like, a, a, I
0: don't know. a priest I come in and clear your
1: house. Um. So, but she, so she put stuff down on the floor, you know, like, flour on the floor to see if there would be footprints, footprints and things like that. And, and they did. They saw stuff like that. So, Ugh. she's just like, okay, this isn't us just, like, having a mass hysteria in the house. Like, I'm seeing shit. I don't like. It's happening. So, anyway, so they call the cops. In hopes of like getting some report and to not feel crazy maxima calls the cops around 2 a.m he frantically tells them that since one of his daughters died someone or something is upsetting the routine of the family and the poltergeist was being especially annoying that day (laughs) he just so annoying he described how the crucifixes in his house were inverted on their own and that three claw marks had appeared on a poster without any explanation so, the dispatcher on the other end obviously thought Maximo was on some really good drugs. So, <laughs> he asked to speak to the wife. He's <laughs> like, <laughs> like, yeah, it's your wife. Oh, let me just, like, talk to her. So, Concepcion got on the phone and um, in the same frantic way, said the exact same thing, but just added a few more details. She was like, no, for real. For real. This is what's happening. And this is what I did. And I threw flour on the floor and there's footsteps in it. They're probably like,
0: what?
1: What? Um, so the dispatcher then asked, mm, are your kids home? Can I maybe talk <laughs> to them? Is there a neighbor Yeah, that you might get? Is there anyone like else a, there? Like that a handler maybe <laughs> that lives with you? Is your nurse there? Yeah. It's happening.
0: It's time
1: Um." That. But she got the same story. So she decided or the dispatcher decided, I'm just assuming it's a girl. I don't know why. That's my own problems. Um, <laughs> but There's they decided, so much logic in this dispatcher. You just assume it's a lady. Yeah. I got it. So <laughs> they were like, all right, we'll send over some patrols. And the situation, you know, it was unusual, but the family could be in real danger. <laughs>
0: Well, also, I don't know if Spain has the same like 911 laws that we do, but if you call 911, it doesn't matter what it you say. Yeah. They send someone to your house. So I feel I've I've seen this in other sources
1: too. And again, there are so many different sources, so many ways the story is told. I think that when they started bringing in the Sears and like the Paris psychologists, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that their stories were also integrated into this a lot. So, kind of what I'm telling you is a very like close, like, full story of what happened, Mm -hmm. but there's so many other tales that kind of make it even creepier and more wild, but this one, I mean, I think just the essence of it is still enough. Yeah. Like, there's so much to it. So, I don't know. They may have called the police before, and then, like you said, if they didn't have to go, they might have been like, whatever. Like, we're not going to go for that. We're not going to—that's not in our— realm of expertise, you know.
0: Yeah. Sometimes you have to dispatch somebody. It's yeah. I don't know what Spain's rules are.
1: Yeah. All right. So now we are back at the beginning of our story, right? Okay. They they got there, they saw the family outside. Right. And now Everybody's they go like, inside. I'm not going yeah, back in there. Exactly. Theory. So this is actually from the um this is like an excerpt from the police report. Um so police recorded their experiences in an official police report. In part it said, we sat with the family you could hear and see how a perfectly shut cupboard door would open and shut. We checked the door. It was perfect. It moved in an anti-natural way. Moments later, we saw a tablecloth on a small telephone table become stained by a brown substance that the inspector identified as drool-like. Ew! When we checked the bedrooms of the house, we saw a wooden cross spun upside down and the metal Christ upon it was ripped. Off. One of the daughters then placed the cross behind the door on a poster. Then, in the same moment, there appeared three nail mark scratches on the poster. Later, Officer Negri was approached by local news and, in an on screen interview, told reporters that he experienced what he experienced when he entered (laughs) Estefania's bedroom. It was a small bedroom with twin beds. The father told us that sometimes when he and his little son we're sitting on the bed. His son was picked up and thrown to the other bed in a flying move. Okay. Okay. I sat down in the same bedroom to see if anything would happen. It was like, you're a little bigger than a little boy. Yeah. We'll see if you'll get flown across. You gonna throw me? Yeah. Uh, we heard a terrible scream behind us, which came from a small balcony. I quickly opened the door and ran out to see if I could see anything, but there was nothing. No fallen stones. Nothing. It was 2.30 in the morning and the noise was dreadful. When I'd first entered the room, I noticed they had a large wooden crucifix on the wall and hanging off of it was a smaller pearly crucifix like the one children get at their first Holy Communion. There was also a poster. But a few moments later, the crucifix had been turned upside down and the little crucifix was on the floor and the poster and the door had three or four deep scratches in them as if someone had crawled through the poster and deep into the door. Ew! So this is like a legit... These are the police. Yeah. Oh, I hate it so much. So in the end, the occurrences at the Gutierrez's home were never explained. Uh -uh. The family decided to just finally move. Yeah, got you got to get out of there, man. So apparently, and maybe this is what happened, they just originally, they were afraid that there was no point in moving. Like, they were just afraid that this was attached to them. And not
0: the house. And okay. not the
1: house. And so they were like, wherever we go, this thing's going to follow us. We need to figure out, like, what's who it is, what's happening, why wherever this is
0: happening. Go,
1: there you go. There you are. But lo and behold, they moved and the paranormal activity just stopped. So the famous thing about this case is that they say this is the first official police report that has anything about actual paranormal activity. Right. right? Yeah. That's like one of the taglines on these yes. cases for this case. Um, but the inspector, uh, Negri, will, he stands by everything he says to this day. He says what he wrote in okay. his police report is exactly what happened. Okay. But he does also say, he's like, but I will say... That I didn't actually write that there was any paranormal activity that happened. I just wrote what I saw, and that it and that there were things that I could not yet explain how they happened. I mean, that's a very safe thing to say. It's safe. I get it. Yes, mm-hmm. which is true. His yeah. his reports did not say like, and then a spirit came here and then this happened or that this was paranormal. He he would use more words like phenomena or something like mm-hmm. that in it. So, yes. That is Yikes. That is the tale, and I hate
0: it. Yeah, that's a that's a lot. Yeah. God damn. Okay, thank you for that, Leslie. That was, you're welcome. Um, not awful at all. Uh, and now I'm going to tell you about The Exorcist, Ugh. which you're going to think is going to be worse, but in the end, the true story is not. Right, right. So, hold on. You're going to okay. be okay. In 1971, William Peter Blatty, a man previously known for penning hilarious and successful screenplays, published a novel. The novel had a black cover that featured a distorted photo of a doll-like young girl with a cracked and drawn mouth and cavernous, empty eyes. The title was just two words, The Exorcist. Yeah. Yeah. William Peter Blatty could have written about anything, given his extensive Hollywood pedigree, but he decided to tell a story he had heard back when he was in college at Georgetown University. It was a story of the real-life demonic possession of a child and how this child came to undergo an actual exorcism. Now, most average people in the United States at that time had very little experience when it came to exorcisms, and I would still say that's largely true, though the movie has shed a lot more light onto, I guess, what they could be. Sure, they knew that they were something that occurred mostly within the Catholic Church and that they were seemingly kind of a medieval practice filled with fire and brimstone and screaming and monsters. But this wasn't something that happened in a, say, modern-day household, or at least you wouldn't assume it was at that point. But that's exactly where William Peter Blatty proved them wrong. The novel tells the story of a young girl named Regan McNeil who becomes possessed by an ancient demon named Pazuzu. (laughs) I know. There is also like a case where the killer is called Goes by Pazuzu. I get it, you guys. He got it from The Exorcist. He is not that original. Reagan was a normal child who lived with her wealthy and famous actress mother. She was well-behaved, kind, and wanted for nothing. This was not the situation the average American assumed a demonic possession might occur within. But if it could happen in a major well-known city to a child who was as all-American as apple pie and Labor Day traffic, well, then it could happen to anyone, couldn't it? Yeah. Yeah. This, coupled with the based-on-a-true-story tag, was disquieting to many, to say the least. hmm Reagan is eventually saved by a dramatic exorcism that kills both priests who execute it. So everyone better get to church on Sunday, or else. Oof. The book was met with tepid sales upon its release, so initially it, its panicked reach was rather small, until William Peter Blatty talked about it on the Dick Cavett show. And then sales skyrocketed. America was collectively terrified, and little did the author know, but his book was one of the first steps in catapulting the whole country into a full-scale satanic panic. hmm <laughs> We have talked about this before. Both the book and the movie really, really, really helped fuel the engine that was America's satanic panic. William Peter Blatty does not know that. It's okay. Right. But back to the humble beginnings. The book, while terrifying, is also pretty measured. It is careful to demonstrate for most of its pages that while Reagan's symptoms could be that of demonic possession, they also could be a medical or mental illness. By the end, it's clear which seems to be the cause, but for a good long time, it's up to the reader to decide. This is easily accomplished when you're not looking at startling visual representations of, like, possession before your very eyes. And I think it can be argued that the ambiguity is actually scarier, since it leads one to believe that we just never really know what we're in the presence of. But in terms of very real nightmare induction, the visuals are going to win every single time. And being as the author worked in Hollywood, it wasn't long before the movie version was being made. The film, however, pared down the ambiguity and streamlined the plot, eliminating a black mass element which occurs in the novel. Oh, okay. Right, which is like your very, very typical Levayan Satanism Mm -hmm. thing. The black masses don't happen, you guys. That's not like a thing, but whatever. Yes, Um, they do. I mean, they did, but they were a great big show <laughs> yeah. that he put on <laughs> with a lot of naked sexy ladies. Yeah. So we'll cover that in the future. So here's the wiki plot rundown of the film for anyone who hasn't seen it or needs a refresher. The film opens in northern Iraq. Catholic priest Father Lancaster Marin participates in an archaeological dig which unearths the medallion of St. Joseph and an artifact representing Pazuzu, an ancient demon. Nice. Ugh. As Father Marin prepares to leave Iraq, he encounters a large statue of Pazuzu and observes two dogs fighting in the desert. Mm. Time for a possession, obviously. Yep. Then we leave the desert and cut to early 70s Georgetown, where the actress Chris McNeil works on a film directed by her friend, Burke Dennings. For the duration of filming, Chris is living in a well-appointed house. So, like, they give her a mansion in Georgetown. They're like, you can live here. Mm -hmm. Instead of, like, I don't know, a hotel room. That's fine. She's living in this beautiful home with her daughter Reagan and two house staff members. Um, the Wikipedia summary and the IMDb summary calls them servants. I am not very comfortable with. That. Okay. <laughs> These are two people named Carl and Willie Engstrom. Chris's personal assistant Sharon Spencer also spends a lot of time in the house. So there's people there, mm-hmm. and they help her with Reagan. Georgetown-based priest Damian Carris. Visits his early, uh, his elderly Greek immigrant mother in New York. So we cut to this priest visiting his mom. He confides to a colleague that he feels unfit in his role as a counselor to other priests because he's having a crisis of faith. Right. Okay. That's gonna leave a door open, obviously. Yeah, i obvi. be back at her fancy house. Chris hears noises in the attic, and there she finds Reagan and asks her, "Hey, um, you're making noise. Do you know how to play with our family Ouija board?" <laughs> Logical, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Reagan says, yeah, I already totally know how to do that because I play all the time with my friend, Captain Howdy. Oh, no. I ask him questions. He tells me answers. Howdy. Great. She's terrifying already. Meanwhile, in a local church, a statue of the Virgin Mary is found desecrated. It is later surmised that Captain Howdy was a friendly persona the demon puts on to possess Reagan through the Ouija board. We got another Ouija board. Yep. Now, after he wrote The Exorcist, author William Peter Blatty had his own spooky Ouija board experience, but I'll save that for host mortem. So if okay. you're a patron, I will tell you that story. But if you're not, sorry, you missed it. Moving on. Actress Chris then hosts the party that Father Karras' friend, Father Dyer, attends. Father Dyer explains that Father Karras' role is as a counselor, and he mentions that Father Karras' mother also died recently. Then suddenly, Reagan appears seemingly in a trance. She, like, comes down the stairs. There are versions where she, like, spider crawls in a bridge down the stairs, Mm -hmm. which my daughter could probably do, and Will always wants her to do it. And I'm like, no, let's not. Yeah. Let's not do that. I'd never want her to do that. I don't either. So then she she goes down the stairs. She's standing there in her nightgown, looking like she's in a total trance, just, like, looking at the party guests. And she goes up to one who is a well-known astronaut, because, you know, when you're a famous actress, you have both priests and astronauts alike at your party. And cryptically says, You're gonna die up there. Ugh. Yep. And then she just pees on the carpet. Yeah. It's gross and also scary. You don't just stand there and pee. Mm-hmm. Ugh. After that, Chris puts Reagan to bed, you think? And give, like, gives her a bath and puts her to bed. And then Reagan wakes up and says her bed is violently shaking. Back to the priest. Father Dyer consoles Father Kairos, who expresses guilt at not having been with his mother at the time of her death. That night, Father Karras goes to sleep and dreams of his mother, a St. Joseph's medallion, and briefly, a demonic face. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Back at the fancy house, Reagan has become violent. Her perplexed mother then seeks medical help for her. And we've talked about this, um, like, medical scene in a previous episode. Reagan is subjected to several medical tests which fail to find anything physically wrong with her. And the film uh, employs, like, an actual technician of these tests so was extremely realistic looking. These tests, which in reality can be quite painful and traumatic, are shown in extreme and, like, stark realism. It looks the way it would look, which is one of the things that audiences say upset them the most. Okay. During a house call from one of the doctors, because she's seeing all kinds of doctors, and this one visits at home, it becomes clear that the demon has taken over Reagan's body. The possessed Reagan exhibits abnormal strength. One night, her mother, Chris, returns home and finds the house empty except for a sleeping Reagan. I'm assuming she thinks that, like, one of her many house staff members is there with her, but no dice. Then she realizes that her friend and director, Burke Dennings, is dead at the foot of an outdoor staircase beneath Reagan's window. Calls the damn cops, good job. And a uh, homicide detective, William Kinderman, questions Father Karras about the incident. Why, I cannot tell you. Um, he also confides with the father that uh, Burke Jennings's body was found with its head turned backwards. Mm-hmm. Doesn't usually just happen. So Regan's condition worsens and her body becomes covered in sores. A doctor mentions um, exorcism is like a remote option. If there's nothing else, maybe call a priest. That could be what you need to do. Uh, he suggests that even if it's not a real thing and there's a real demon, it could just benefit her psychologically to think that there is a solution to her problem happening. Mm-hmm. Then Detective Kinderman visits Chris at home again, explaining that the only plausible explanation for Burke Dennings' death is that he was pushed from Reagan's window, so someone had to push him out. Reagan's the only one home. As Kinderman leaves, the possessed Reagan um, is seen stabbing her genitals with a crucifix, and it's a very bloody situation, which she then shoves her mother's face into the bloody stuff, and it is graphic. All the while, I believe she's saying, let Jesus fuck you.
1: Yeah. It's so good. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> to Chris's horror, the possessed Reagan then turns her head backwards like an owl and speaks in Dennings' voice. Then she is tied to the bed and confined to her room. You're not allowed out after that. I'm sorry. So wild. Yeah. I
1: don't know how that little actress turned her head like that.
0: <laughs> She's
1: so good. She's so committed. She's an role. owl. That's yeah. what it is.
0: Oh, yeah. Oh. Chris then seeks out Father Karis, who visits Reagan Over two meetings, the possessed Reagan claims to be the devil himself. Then she projectile vomits into Father Karras' face, which is iconic. She speaks in tongues and reacts violently when tap water is sprinkled on her, which Father Karras says is holy water. This is a point against genuine possession or whatever. The demon says it will remain in Regan until she is dead. Desperate, Chris then confides that the possessed Regan killed Bert Dennings. She's like, I know she fucking pushed him. At night, Regan's nanny calls Father Karras to the house. They witness the words, help me, materialize on Regan's skin in the form of welts. Still ambivalent, Father Karras nevertheless concludes that maybe we should have an exorcism. His superior grants permission on the condition that an experienced priest leads the ritual while Father Karras assists. So in the Catholic faith, if you want to have an exorcism, you have to have it approved by a lot of higher ups. Not just like one guy, it's like the bishop and like like a bunch of people have to say it's okay.
1: Yeah, it's a very serious, crazy thing. So they want to make sure that they're not just spreading mass hysteria. Absolutely. But. They still do that.
0: Yeah, I was gonna say. <laughs> anyway, however, that usually matters.
1: ensues, however, because yeah. it's
0: not like they don't talk about it afterwards. Yeah. Or there's like uh,
1: there's certain dioceses where the people are kind of hysterical about stuff, mm-hmm. so they are they just they believe so heartedly in possessions yeah. that like they're more willing to do them more often. Whereas there's other priests that yeah. are like.
0: No, like that doesn't happen as More often More sparing. Yeah. <laughs> and then there are also people who like carry them out on their own at home. That's yeah. never good. So they call in Father Marin, the one who did all of it in mm-hmm. the beginning. Because, right, I mean, the whole thing is his fault. So we ought to fix it. Father Marin arrives at the house and he warns Father Karras that the demon uses psychological attacks. As the priests read from the Roman ritual, the demon curses them. It focuses on Father Caris, verbally attacking his loss of faith and guilt over the circumstances of his mother's death. I believe this is around the point where we get the iconic line, your mother sucks cocks in hell. It's all very nice. <laughs> the priests then rest for a minute. They're like, we got to take a break. And Father Marin is trembling and takes nitroglycerin because we've learned that he has a previous heart condition. Father Karras enters the bedroom where the demon appears to him as his mother. Uh, showing weakness, Father Karras exclaims that the demon is not his mother. And Father Marin says, you got to get out of here. It's not going well for you. And he goes on by himself. Father Karras assures Chris that Reagan will not die. So he goes out in the hallway. He's like, listen, Reagan's mom. She's not going to die. Going to be fine. And then he walks back in the room and he finds Father Marin dead on the floor. Mm-hmm. <sighs> Bad news. Karras then <laughs> jumps on the possessed Reagan and starts beating her. And demands that the demon take him instead. So the demon's like, okay, fine. He rips, uh, so Reagan and the demon rips the medallion of St. Joseph from Father Karras' neck and begins to possess him in the process, freeing Reagan. Father Karras, momentarily regaining control of his own body, throws himself and the demon by proxy out of the window, tumbling down the stairs, iconic moment. And I guess they both die or the Mm -hmm. demon goes back from whence it came. After this, uh, Chris and Detective Kinderman enter the room. Chris embraces Reagan, who is better now and confused. And Detective Kinderman surveys the violence and confusion. Outside, Father Dyer, who just happens to be walking by, administers the last rites to Father Karras as he dies. So Father Karras still gets to go to heaven. Now, remember this fact. It is very important later. So the next day, the McNeils prepare to leave, and Father Dyer says goodbye. Despite having no memory of her ordeal, Reagan is moved by the sight of Father Dyer's clerical collar, and she kisses him on the cheek. As the McNeils leave, Chris gives Father Dyer the St. Joseph's medallion that she found in Reagan's room. The end. So that's the movie. That's what happens.
1: I did not do that with my movie.
0: That's okay. There is a reason why I <laughs> yeah, did that, yeah. because there are two other versions of this story, and you have to see where they coincide. Right. Okay. So clearly the film was met with quite a reaction from the public. There are so many reports of audience members, like, passing out and vomiting and losing their minds in theaters. And they they had to be locked up in an asylum afterwards. One woman claimed that the film made her miscarry. So, you know, it was like a huge success. Yeah, (laughs) Cursed, but a success. The film was nominated for 10 Academy Awards and won two. Wow. So, yeah, it did well. The curse, however, was not limited to the audience members. Before the film's release, so before it was even put out in the world, the actor who played Burke Dennings, Jack McGowran, died of influenza. It was like a, mm-hmm. the London outbreak of, the, of influenza then. And the actor who played Father Karras' ailing mother died of unexplained natural causes. So she was 89, so I'm like, nah, that's not as mysterious. Yes. That's all right. <laughs> we could, that's a reach. Yeah. But wait, there's more. Mm -hmm. According to the U.S. Sun, quote, set for Reagan's family home burned down in 1972 after a bird flew into the circuit box. Mm -hmm. Eerily, the only part of the set that survived was the bedroom where the exorcisms would take place. Mm -hmm. Film historian Sarah Krauth told iNews, quote, this set production back significantly and led to a draining shooting period over the course of a year. After the incident, which caused a six-week delay, a real Jesuit priest, Thomas M. King, was called in to bless the set. Both Ellen Burstyn and Linda Blair, who played Kristen Reagan, also suffered back injuries that caused lifelong problems. Now, I know Linda Blair was strapped into a harness when she was like thrown back and forth on the bed, and that's what hurt her back. I think... Ellen Burstyn fell in like a dresser fell on her or something, mm-hmm. but she was on crutches for the latter half of the movie yeah. and had to put them aside when she was on screen. So yep. like, not good. You'd think, you'd think that this might stop them from making sequels. Nope. But those of you who have watched a recent Netflix series on a certain serial killer will know that it didn't. hmm All part of the curse, baby. Bet you didn't know Jeff was making a guest appearance this week, did you? Apparently, he's part of The Exorcist Curse. Oh, yeah? hmm Just, uh, guys, spare us the memes because they get us in trouble. So, suffice to say, the book and movie made a rather enormous splash. But perhaps the scariest part of the entire franchise, curse and all, were five little words based on a true story. hmm Does that mean that somewhere in the world, there is a little girl who stabbed her crotch with a cross? And projectile vomited on a priest? Absolutely. No. No. Oh. But maybe? Yes. Sort of. Yep. Let me explain. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Originally, the true story was said, so like, when they're like, here's the true story, we said it was based on, was said to be about a young boy named Robbie Manheim, whose alias was Roland Doe, occasionally Robbie Doe. Okay. okay. Yep. They said, it, it is said that he is from Mount Rainier, Maryland. Robbie was an only child with working parents, and so he spent a lot of time with his eccentric Aunt Harriet. Aunt Harriet was into spiritualism. She's like the cool aunt. I picture her wearing like a caftan and having like crazy dyed hair. I love it. And loving like an afternoon sherry and letting him have a little too. So (laughs) anyway, Aunt Harriet, who's definitely cool, introduced Robbie to the Ouija board. And that is, of course, where the trouble began. After On Harriet's death in 1949, strange things began happening at Robbie's house. There were unexplained noises. Furniture would move about on its own. Vases would levitate and fly through the air. Robbie began having violent tantrums that involved hurling around large pieces of furniture with what seemed to be supernatural strength. Hmm. It's very strong. He's like throwing a dresser. Oh my gosh. Working out, Robbie. Mm -hmm. Feeling that they were Sort of out of their depth at this point, Robbie's family then turned to their Lutheran pastor for help. He agreed to spend the night in the family home and observe the situation for himself. And the situation did not disappoint. All the paranormal activity was on full display. Sensing he was also out of his depth, the pastor then passed Robbie's family on to some people who were pretty well-versed in this shit and could probably help. Mm -hmm. Doctors, perhaps? Yeah. No, of course um, not the Catholics. Yeah, you go. Yeah. They're going to help, right? They know the most. Mhm. The Catholics yeah, just ask them. <laughs> the Catholics were on it right away. A Catholic priest agreed to conduct an exorcism at Georgetown University Hospital, which seems weird, but it's a Jesuit institution and they are the most Catholic Catholics of the bunch. Yep. So okay. During the exorcism, Robbie allegedly slipped one of his hands out of his restraints and broke a bed spring off from under the mattress, then used it to slash the priest in the arm, which brought the whole thing to a grinding halt. The the priest was like, you can't fucking stab me with a mattress spring. I have to go. Which, in my mind, makes him kind of a quitter. Yeah. Whatever. The family then traveled to St. Louis, where Robbie stayed with a cousin. He was visited by two priests and, and, and apparently, Aunt, there are some versions where Aunt Harriet lived in St. Louis. It doesn't really make much sense, but whatever. Mm. He was there while he was there. He was visited by two priests who allegedly observed a shaking bed, flying objects, and the boy speaking in a guttural voice and cowering in the presence of anything sacred. Ugh. Yeah, they were then granted permission to perform another exorcism, which they were set to perform then at a St. Louis hospital probably another Catholic hospital. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: A word on the voice. They say he spoke in this gravelly voice. Clearly in The Exorcist, there is a very distinct voice when Reagan is speaking as the demon. Mm -hmm. And this is my favorite piece of insane trivia surrounding this whole thing. The voice of the demon Pazuzu in The Exorcist film was performed by an actress named Mercedes McCambridge, who was, incredibly talented. She has all kinds of awards, including an Oscar. She was once called the most talented woman in radio before that, and she was pretty method, to say the very least. In order to achieve the gravelly, otherworldly sound both she and the director hoped to project in the film, Mercedes swallowed raw eggs, chain-smoked, and drank a steady stream of harsh whiskey during all of her recordings.
1: Nice.
0: Yep. She also voiced all of the terrifying characters' dialogue while tied to a chair, so that the demon seemed to be constantly struggling against its restraints. Hmm. Crazy, right? Yeah. No. So the next time you watch The Exorcist, picture that voice of a woman, kind of drunk, full of raw eggs, Smoking cigarettes and tied to a chair. Yeah. Yeah. So great. A real possession story. Exactly. (laughs) That's how it really would be. Back to Robbie. He's at his cousin's house. The cousin's probably like, why the fuck did you bring this guy here? Okay. Mm -hmm. So he decides to contact one of his professors at St. Louis University. A bishop who in turn speaks to a man named Father William S. Bodern. Which is who is an associate at College Church and a very real person and a very strict Catholic. Together, both priests visited Robbie in his relatives' home, where they allegedly observed yet again shaking bed, flying objects, and the boy speaking in a guttural voice and cowering in the presence of anything sacred. Okay, so the same thing. Everybody's on the same page. Father Brodern was granted permission from the Archbishop again, many steps, to perform another exorcism. Oh. Yeah, do it again. Yeah. During this second exorcism, words such as evil and hell, along with other various marks, appeared on Robbie's body. At one point, Robbie's mattress shook violently, and one priest walked away with a broken nose. Mm -hmm. But it worked. The demon was gone, and everything was fine after that. Go Catholics. Do it. Go. Mm -hmm. It is rumored that 48 people observed this exorcism, and that one of the attending priests kept a detailed diary a diary that at one point William Peter Bloody was able to see, and the rest is history, allegedly. Wow. Okay, so that's the real story, right? Yeah. No. Oh. But maybe. What? Sort of. <laughs> Let me explain. In 2021, Robbie Mannheim, a.k.a. Roland Doe's actual identity, was revealed by his long-term partner after his death. Mm-hmm. The boy on the shaky bed was a man named Ronald Edwin Hunkalur. Nice hunkeler yeah. Hunkalur, yes. yeah. Despite his very strange childhood, Ronald went on to become a NASA engineer who patented a special technology to make space shuttle panels resistant to extreme heat. This technology helped the Apollo missions of the 1960s that eventually put U.S. astronauts on the moon in 1969. The Exorcist Kid did that. Amazing. The one that told the astronaut, you're going to die up there. Yeah. Later put an astronaut on the moon. Uh Uh-huh. Oh, boy. Mm Mm-hmm. I couldn't make this shit up if I tried, you guys. (laughs) That's so good. Yeah. He lived a relatively quiet life and kept his days possessed by a demon, a secret for mostly his entire life, which was easy until the movie was released. Ronald's companion of 29 years was quoted as saying, quote, On Halloween, we always left the house because he figured someone would come to his residence and know where he lived and never let him have peace. The woman, who asked not to be named, told the New York Post, quote, He had a terrible life from worry, 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 End quote. Ronald retired from NASA in 2001 after nearly 40 years with them and lived the rest of his life trying to hide from his past before dying a month shy of his 86th birthday in 2021. But what happened to him all those years ago? Was it really the devil? Was it? No, it wasn't. But it's a hell of a show for a little while. Yeah. Ronald Edwin Hunkeler was born in 1935 and grew up in a middle-class family in Cottage City, Maryland. When he was 14, he began to hear knocking and scratching sounds coming from his bedroom walls. Ooh. Yeah. Objects seemingly flew across the room and his bed somehow moved on his own, according to him, at the time. In March of 1949, the Hunkler's family minister, the Reverend Luther Schultz, wrote to Duke University's parapsychology lab about what was going on with Ronald. As Reverend Schultz had a keen interest in the paranormal, he told the folks at Duke how, quote, chairs moved with him and one threw him out of it and his bed shook whenever he was in it. The reverend also cited the family stories of tables overturning, their floors being scarred from the sliding of heavy, heavy furniture, and, in one, how a, quote, picture of Christ on the wall shook when Ronald was nearby. <laughs> but remember, this guy liked ghosts. Yeah. And probably wanted to see some. hmm If he had connections with the parapsychology lab at Duke... This was probably not his first haunted rodeo. Right. Okay. Okay. Ronald's mother thought that the disturbances might be related to their recently deceased Aunt Tilly, who was a self-proclaimed spiritualist. I like to think she was still just as eccentric because that character's great. I love the name Tilly. It's a good (laughs) one. Aunt Tilly spent a lot of time with Ronald, who was, in actuality, I believe, an only child, and taught him how to use a Ouija board, and together they would communicate with the spirit world. Great. Right. Yeah, which was probably like a fun little thing they did together, but not not now. Ronald's family did however have him medically and psychologically evaluated, but doctors could find nothing wrong with him. So the church seemed to be the way to go. Eventually Reverend Schultz advised them to see a priest, and being an ever thorough group of people, they instead saw a bunch of priests. Mhm. Yeah. Yeah. Father William Bodern, who was also William Peter Blatty's direct contact for this case, so he spoke directly to him, was among a small group of Jesuit priests who, quote, helped Ronald by conducting more than 20 exorcisms on him in the span of just three months. Oh, but when you need it, you need it. I mean, you got to do what you got to do. Now, this kind of treatment is exactly what killed Annalise Michelle. Yeah. But there is one crucial difference here. Annalise believed she was possessed. Ronald did not. Mm. Father Bodern, by the way, is one of the most catholic of Catholics and once penned an article titled The Problem with Courtship and Marriage. Yeah, he's probably fun at parties. Oh, for sure. Mm-hmm. So then 14, not 48, 14 witnesses watched well, William Bodin, uh, Bodern wrote in his diary on March 10th, 1949, that Ronald, quote, appeared in a trance as his mattress shook, and there was a scratching which beat out a rhythm as, as if there were marching soldiers. So this is at like, the next exorcism. Yeah. A second-class relic of St. Margaret Mary was thrown to the floor. The safety pin was opened, but no human hand had touched the relic. R, which they just referred to him as R, started up in fright when the relic was thrown down. So this is taken directly from this diary, which no one has actually found. It is like a great yeah. mythological thing. It's like 17 mm-hmm. pages of an account of this exorcism. And some people say that William Peter Blatty saw it. Some people say that he just talked about it. Again, this is a mythic part of this story. So then it was decided that Ronald should be taken to St. Louis, where coincidentally his Aunt Tilly had lived to be treated for his demonic possession. Good, Okay. Quote, it seemed that whatever force was writing the words was in favor of making the trip to St. Louis. So now we're talking about words that are appearing on Ronald's trunk in, like, scratches. And this is uh, what Father Bodern wrote in his diary, according to a Catholic website called censusfidelium.com. I don't think we should even include that. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) No, I know. (laughs) It says, quote, Oh well the New York Post put it in first. I know, so we're I know. fine. Okay. <laughs> it says, quote, On one evening the word Lewis was written on the boys' re- ribs in deep red scratches. So they were like, That must mean we have to go to Saint Louis.
1: Oh, right, yeah. Not
0: like our neighbor Lewis might be a little shit or something yeah. i don't know i would have gone right to that but whatever
1: i know or i would have thought if if he was possessed by mm-hmm. a demon i would have thought that the demon's name was louis yeah. oh,
0: is your name louis exactly i don't think i would have gone right to st louis and louis would be um lucifer there you go problem solved there you go but then now using him as a human ouija board there was next a question of, like, when they should leave. So, like, well, what Lewis, when should we go to St. Louis? And the word Saturday appeared plainly written on the boy's hip.
1: Ah, uh, okay.
0: And then they were like, how long should we stay in St. Louis? And another message appeared on Ronald's chest that said three and a half weeks.
1: Oh, my God. I would be so mad. I mean, I, I know that you're kidding, but I would be so mad if I was...
0: Ronald was just like, "Can you stop asking questions?" Yes, <laughs> I know. <laughs> but like, if you really wanted to miss three and a half weeks of school, that'll do it. I will. I will dig a pencil right in there. Uh, yeah, <laughs> look away while I scratch myself. <laughs> you got to commit, man. On March twenty first, nineteen forty nine, Ronald entered the Alexian Brothers Hospital in St. Louis. It's a different named hospital now, but back then it was a small catholic
2: Mm -hmm.
0: hospital and as soon as he got there he had convulsions so violent that they broke a priest's nose that's true there you go so they're like we gotta do another exorcism i guess so one more one more again after which ronald claimed to have seen visions of saint michael holding a flaming sword and after that his soul had been freed from the devil oh good yeah and he was good forever okay So the newspaper reported this and everything. There are articles about, like, this big triumph of the Catholic Church. They're like, the church did it! Priests are great! Okay. So funny. Crazy, right? Yeah. Yeah. Do you want to know what's crazier? Yeah. This whole wild adventure came from a boy who pranked the shit out of his family for attention. Yeah, of
1: course. I know.
0: In his 1993 book, Possessed, The True Story of an Exorcism, author Thomas B. Allen said, quote, the consensus of today's experts is that Robbie was just a deeply disturbed boy, nothing supernatural about him. According to author Mark Obsasnick, who wrote the book, quote, The Real Story Behind the Exorcist, Roland Doe was simply a spoiled, disturbed bully who threw deliberate tantrums to get attention or to get out of school. Obsasnick goes on to say that, quote, Father Halloran, a priest who was present at the exorcism, never heard the boy's voice change and he thought the boy was merely mimicking Latin words he had heard clergymen say, rather than gaining the sudden ability to speak Latin. Obsasnick added that, quote, when marks were found on the boy's body, Father Halloran failed to check the boy's fingernails to see if he had made the marks himself. Mark Obsasnick wrote that, quote, after he located and spoke with neighbors and childhood friends of the boy, most of whom only referenced the are referenced by initials so you're not going to go find these people he concluded that the boy had been a very clever trickster who had pulled pranks to frighten his mother and to fool children in the neighborhood i feel like it went out of hand though yeah for sure furthermore according to joel Nickel, who writes for the skeptical inquirer quote there was simply no credible evidence to suggest the boy was possessed by demons or evil spirits and that, on one occasion, the boy was reportedly seen scratching the words hell and Christ into his chest by using his own fingernails. Yeah. Gotta commit, man. You wanna get out of school for three and a half weeks, you gotta gotta shed a little blood. According to the New York Post, in 2018's Diabolical Possession and the Case Behind the Exorcist, an overview of scientific research with interviews with witnesses and experts (sighs) Oh, man. A cumbersome title. Yes. Writer Sergio Rueda reported how the Hunkler family explained the clan's dynamics. They said that the father tended to spoil Ronald and the mother was stricter. She was also, according to an interview with uh, the Right Reverend Schultz, very superstitious. The minister admitted he initially wondered if Ronald may have manipulated her beliefs, turning to trickery to get her to take him out of school for a while. In the end, Ronald's companion admitted that even he never believed that he was the victim of satanic possession and completely shunned religion for the rest of his life. She said, quote, he said he wasn't possessed. It was all concocted. He said I was just a bad boy. And maybe that's why he spent the rest of his life so very worried. Mm. The church, on the other hand, who considers Ronald to be one of their greatest, greatest triumphs is sticking to their guns.
1: But yeah, in one, of, you have to at that point. I know
0: they're like, no, it was possession. It was, and I we didn't. I mean, did it. And
1: also like he was a bad boy, probably because he was possessed. <laughs> he was just a very bad boy. Like, what would what would possess a child to be that bad? Ayy. okay. Papuzla. what
0: was the name of it? Crappula. <laughs> <laughs> no, Krapple is the hangover yeah, demon. That's true. Pazuzu is the Pazuzu. other one. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, in one final twist. Okay, perhaps the craziest one of them all. Ronald's companion tells the New York Post that a few days before he died, a Catholic priest appeared at his home to perform last rites. She had not called the priest. Ronald had not called the priest. His children, who were estranged from him and did not even attend his funeral, certainly didn't call the priest. Neither Ronald nor his companion knew this man, but he was there just the same. His companion said, quote, have no idea how the father knew to come, but he got Ron to heaven. Ron's in heaven, and he's with God now, End quote. just like Father Karis. So this part of the story always frustrates
1: me because it seems like the last thing he wanted.
0: I guess yeah. he he didn't he didn't want that. So you now he's like, now I'm in goddamn heaven. <laughs> I don't think it mattered what he wanted or thought at that I point. I think they were like, oh, he was just been so confused and possessed his whole life, and we're going to save him.
1: Yeah, I know. It, I felt, I feel like they did another exorcism on him at the end.
0: Yes. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, he was there. He accepted it's terrifying. it. terrifying. I have no idea. But oh, he, ex- oh, that's true. Yeah, he guess, He yeah. didn't tell the guy to leave. He was like, yeah, do this. Cause I mean, I think when you're coming to the end of your life, yeah. Your views might be slightly different on certain things. Yeah, it's convenient.
1: Yeah,
0: I'm just, mean, ki- I'm just kidding. <laughs> sure, but, the, but a priest. Uh, also, your views might be slightly different when a priest you've never met and didn't summon shows up at your door and knows that you're dying. Yeah. That is wild. Like, mm-hmm. hey, um, are you sick? Or I'm gonna give you your last he the reason ride. that he died? Who knows? Mm. Or was he the demon? The companion knows. Coming back. That's what take I'm saying. I don't think this was a good sign. Listen, who knows? It's still freaky because in the end of The Exorcist, which was published way, way, way before Ronald actually died, priest dies, is dying. Another priest just happens upon him and gives him his last rites. Right. Same fucking thing. Mm. Weird. Very weird. Anyway, toast? Yeah. So in your story... We're gonna toast Estefania, right? Let's toast Estefania. She, of course, whatever it was, she went through it real she hard. She really did. So to Estefania, and her poor family, who also seemed to go through it pretty hard. So okay, so listen, <laughs> okay, I think that a lot of it was BS. This is
1: a story from Spain, okay, and more and more is coming out since 2018, okay. The children are getting older. Right. And they are starting to spill some beans.
0: Oh, get out of here. Yeah. You held that in this whole I time. Did. I did. Because
1: they say currently that the story, that story I told you, is exaggerated.
2: Mm-hmm. But that
1: there are things that happened and uh, that are still kind of like they're unsure about. But some of the things when the police came were a bit more exaggerated like Fair. and the sister can tell you like what part she took in creating sounds <gasps> and really scratches on the like you know she placed the crucifix okay. on that poster and she caused it to like do things and um i you know probably they probably got pretty good at like doing some weird stuff in there cuz they'd been doing probably, weird yeah. stuff for a while but it, I think one of the brothers, maybe Ricardo or something. I think he had said that, like his mom wanted them to like do more things, like create more of a scene because Make they felt like the the police weren't believing them, okay. like they weren't going big it's enough. So desperate, so they were getting like bigger with some stuff. So that's where it's like I'm still there's a it's it wasn't as intense. Got it. Um, also, you know if they were all having a hard time at that house and then they moved and
0: everything was fine, it was probably mold. Listen, that is my favorite theory because on Reddit, there is a person <laughs> who cites the same articles and makes the same argument yeah. as I made for the Los, the Los Feliz murder mansion. Yeah, absolutely. She's like, I think that Estefania had mold-induced psychosis and it eventually killed her. Because it'll cause hallucinations, it'll cause you to act strangely, it'll cause the seizures, it'll cause the everything. Yeah. So listen, you guys, mold is the reason for it's it all. The real killer. Every the real time. Real killer. Mold will be the end of us all. Yeah. Okay. Grab that bleach. Grab it. Spray the Put shit out of anywhere. your house. <laughs> yeah, man. Just sleep in a bubble. Yeah. In just don't drink it. Don't do it. Yeah, bad scene. Don't drink bleach. Good advice from us. <laughs> Cheers to that. Cheers to that, not drinking bleach. Yeah. Um, My story has no winners. I, have, I really yeah. have no one to toast. Maybe poor Ellen Burstyn and Linda Blair who yeah. sustained lifelong injuries.
1: Uh, yeah, I would say to them to make a movie, like they, they sustained injuries for like this kid's BS.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, it's, it's kind of intense. So cheers to them. And to uh our fiends who contributed Ouija board stories. Yes. Thank, thank you guys. Too. Thank you um so much Anne and Haley mm-hmm. for writing in and giving us those stories. They're great. Yes. Oh, and to Leslie Jordan, who died I today. Know. We should give him a little toast. He was such a light in this world. He really was. I first saw him on Ski Patrol. Oh boy. And I oh loved him. Yeah, he is an was an absolute delight. Yeah. Kept a lot of us going during mm-hmm. like COVID lockdowns with his TikToks and stuff. So cheers yeah. to Leslie Jordan. And if we found ourselves possessed by a demon, overcome by mold madness, or just really wanted to get out of school for a while, we would be dead.
1: Thank you for listening to the We Would Be Dead podcast. Hit subscribe now to never miss an episode. Rate and review our show on iTunes. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at wouldbedeadpod. And join our Facebook group to discuss the podcast and more.
0: First, you're waking up in the middle of the night, peeing your pants. And then before you know it, you're screaming in Latin and turning a decidedly unflattering shade of green. It's not good.